This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello, dear listeners. Andrew Apanov here, and this is a new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. This is episode number 77, and my guest today is David Weisfeld, the founder of Soundcharts. Uh, on this very show, you're about to learn what uh, this French startup is all about and also get some interesting information about uh, the startup scene overall and uh, in particular running a tech company from France. So if there are any uh, startup founders listening to this show, I'm sure that you uh, will find it interesting, but it's it's something that I recommend to listening to any musicians as well to get a better understanding of uh, of the music uh, uh, startup world. Uh, there are people who work really hard on creating tools and solutions for musicians and for artists, but in my opinion, there are sometimes some sort of a disconnection uh, between artists and startups, and it's, it's uh, sometimes difficult for for creatives to understand how exactly uh, the startup world operates. So some insights about that on this show and of course uh, uh, what sound charts is. Uh, so this is, if in short, a real-time monitoring tool for charts, airplay and playlists. So this is where you can learn if your music is placed in uh, a Spotify playlist, for example. What's even more, it's a tool that you can use to uh, to analyze the performance of other artists who are somehow relevant to you or just interesting to you and uh, see uh, the breakdown of the data in different territories. Quite a unique and interesting tool and um, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll stop trying to describe it at this point because David will do a much better job in, at this. Uh, so I highly recommend you considering to use the tool. It may not be for everyone uh, because it comes at a price. I do think that the pricing model makes a lot of sense. Uh, so go to the website, it's soundcharts.com and check out the pricing tab. I had a chance to test the tool while it was not better, free and was quite impressed uh, by the daily reports in particular and overall. And yeah, so there is a free trial, so you can sign up and give it a try in any case. Uh, as usual, to be clear, we're not affiliated with the company anyhow, it's just something that we find uh, particularly interesting. And uh, I do think that this is uh, something that can be used as a growth hacking tool as well because you can get some really cool insights on uh, on your quote-unquote competitors in, in your uh, genre, in your market. So uh, David will mention some of the use cases related to that on the, on the interview. So I hope you enjoyed. If you have any feedback as usual, please let us know on SoundCloud, on iTunes, via Twitter, email and so on. And uh, uh, thank you for listening. And here we go, an interview with David from Soundcharts. It's really great to have you on the show. Welcome to Wisping Recipes. And yeah. let me know how you're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we're all good. We're in a special uh, place now because we're just switching from a beta platform to a commercial platform. So you're catching us at quite of a interesting time in our little uh, young company's life. So I'm really happy to speak to you right now. 
Excellent, nice. I, I, it's, it's really cool. So, uh, so getting this kind of feedback while you're doing it, it's, it's different from you know the situation where I speak to you about the launch, uh, the public launch a month from now, for example. So I'm quite excited about having this call right there now as well. Cool. So you mind quick uh, a background to yourself maybe and and the company as well? Yeah, sure. So I uh, I started at Universal Music at uh, 20 years old. I'm 32 now. I left over there at 29. Uh, I stayed just under 10 years. It was like a month. I stayed like nine years and 10 months or something like that. So let's say 10 years. As anybody who started there at 20 years old, I started as a as an intern and I was doing executive production for the jazz department. So it was organizing production, booking studios, paying musicians, organizing the budget and getting it approved by the head of the labels and so forth. It was a very operational uh, job, like being in the day-to-day activity of the label and great learning experience. And then the classics and jazz got merged at Universal France, like in a lot of Universal around uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. And I left that department and then I did the project management for the international marketing department. So any artists that signed to UMG locally are a department. And I was just working part of the roster, I was selling them outside of France. Mm-hmm. I'm French and so I was working for UMG in Paris. And uh, after two years, I got lucky. My boss at the time was 58. And so he went to retirement at 60. And uh, my CEO of Universal France, instead of taking somebody more senior, uh, was lucky that he trusted me with the department. And so I I ran international marketing for four years from 25 to 29. And that was kind of uh, a good, good experience to be very high in the executive food chain at a major company, being at the, the board and at the monthly executive meetings, and just learning about how the company is being run on a kind of a major level. Uh, so I, yeah, I left in 2013, uh, started a boutique management and consulting agency that I still run today, that is called B Sharp. And like a year and a half later, I met a, a guy who is a friend of one of my artists, and he was a very young programmer, and I spoke to him about my weird idea of sound charts. And he, he believed in it and we started to work. And that was uh, summer 2014. And we launched an alpha, alpha product at the end of 2014. We launched a beta product in June 2015. And we launched the, like, the big portal in June 2016. And in the meanwhile, the company went from just two people at my house eating pasta to raising some money. And now it's uh, 11 people. Awesome. That's quite a story. Very cool. And uh, it, it sounds it's, like it's yeah. very short and simple, but to be honest, it, it has been a kind of a crazy ride. And yeah. like a lot of entrepreneurs, when you start something, you're very enthusiastic. And if you knew the difficulty and the mountains that you had to climb to even just survive, I don't know if I would have started it. It's kind of like a crazy, it sounds like very simple because it's two people and now it's nine. But in, in the, the truth of the matter is in the middle, we could have died about a million times and, and, and gave up. And in the last six months, it's been extremely positive because we're getting to the tipping point. People are talking about the platform. You know, there's 30 people who sign up a day. We have a lot of emails coming in. So it sounds like it's very positive. But the first year and a half, it's, it's basically you yourself and some kind of idea. And every day you fall on a new struggle, there's no money, you need new servers, you need to hire people, but you're not 
the business model, so it's kind of scary for developers. And we had to raise money, but raising money in music is not easy. Right. So yeah, it sounds like it's very easy, but to be honest, uh, yeah, if I had to start again, I don't know if I would start it again. It's much harder than even I anticipated it to be. And interesting, be hard. So yeah, yeah, the startup world is quite something. And well, this is why we don't see too many successful startups. I think that many projects close before they can reach this tipping point just because uh, the founders give up yeah. so you really need to to stick with it and this is similar to what musicians face obviously uh, yeah, because it takes cool. quite some time to build a, a career yeah it's true and, and it's kind of like the startup some musicians get a, a, a crazy big break very early and then they don't even really know how to develop their career based on like a hit song and it was like maybe a hit song like too early in the career so to speak yeah and some startups is the same you have like a crazy valuation you raise a lot of cash you saw crowd mix and you know you raise a lot of money have a lot of cash and then you start making horrible mistakes just because you have too much money kind of like i don't know if you're the the son of a billionaire and you don't know what it is to work like you don't know what it is to sweat and you just have a million euro you're gonna waste it on irrelevant stuff i guess if you're a startup and it's too easy too fast then you tend to make some mistakes and then if it's too hard too long then you just die so it's about getting your good break at the right time so you know that it's hard you're not wasting your money on stupid stuff and yeah. at the same time, you're, you're, you have a very positive dynamic that brings you up. And it's true. Around me, there's quite a few music startup friends and people I know who, who build it at the same as we did. And, and it depends. Sometimes if the break is too early, then you raise too much and you end up in some kind of Frankenstein company. You don't even know what you do anymore. And then sometimes you, you should get a bit of money, but you just can't because the company doesn't have traction yet. And mm -hmm. if you don't have enough money, then you're kind of dead because you can't hire the good people and... And a company is only a bunch of people working together. So if you can't hire anybody, you're, you're, you're going to plateau pretty quickly. Yeah, it's quite tricky. Yeah. Are you happy overall that you're based in France? Do you think it would be easier, be it you, if you were in, in a different location? Yeah, that's, a good, that's actually a good question. I don't know. I, there's two ways to look at it. One is to say, like, if I was in Palo Alto in New York or even London, I would be, I mean, Palo Alto is kind of crazy. It'd be like, yeah, I'm in like a startup world. It'd be funny if like my emails were, say, like, you know, made from Palo Alto or something. That'd be kind of weird. So why not if you want to raise a lot of money and like pretend like, you know, go in like the kind of L.A., like San Francisco, West Coast stuff. But I think in music, it really depends on any startup. It depends what you do. Like if you look at. Snapchat, I think they're in LA and on um, on the beach. Basically, they're not even in LA, like downtown or, or West Hollywood. They're really at the beach, and I think it's because they're a huge lifestyle brand, business to consumer, or even consumer to consumer. Like they're not speaking to business to business. So I think for those kind of companies, if you're next to Hollywood, next to where the entertainment business is, it's probably a, a big deal because you you have to meet with all these people. Like Snapchat are doing stories with. ESPN and a bunch of different media and so mm -hmm. I guess it's better for them if they're there a lot of people ask us about it's more about New York and London for us like why are you not in New York or London and it's weird we had the chance to do that when we were two and we chose not to and I, I think I've always been in a situation where I worked from Paris but I was always the guy in the plane with a suitcase and I do that a lot so I'm like 10 days of the month I'm not at my office and I'm in London, in Berlin, in New York, in LA, I, I, we, we, you know, I tend to move around a lot for the company. I'm like the, 
the face of it. So I have to I have to move around. But in reality, the, um, for two reasons, I think we're better off in France. First, I've always been in that challenger mode where I was doing international sales for UMG in France. And I was traveling from Paris, but I wasn't pretending to be American. So my English is okay. And People understand what I say and stuff like that, but I'm not arriving in New York like, hey, I'm like a French guy in New York with a big startup. All of a sudden, people think you raised 10 million euros and you're like a big shot. And, and so we always like the kind of challenger position we have, and we don't try to communicate a lot. We just do word of mouth, and people using the platform is our big asset. So we grew from zero to 8,000 users. I think there's 1,450 active weekly users. I checked yesterday, maybe like 10, 10 off or 10 up or down. But it's, it's over a thousand people who come every week and, and we're starting to have a, a market position, which I don't need to be in London for that. I need my product to be good. I need, I need my word of mouth to be good. And I have, to be honest, I have a pretty good network of music industry people because of my previous job. And because people move a lot in companies, one of my best friends who was at UMGI is, is off to Spotify. One of my other best friends from UMGI is doing Avicii's management. I work with a lot of international labels in France because I do label management for them on my other company. So I don't think we need to be there. And the other thing that is very pr uh, pragmatic for, for me to say, but we run a technical company. And in, in France, the level of uh, developers is extremely high. And what's hard for them is to find a good job in Paris that's motivating. And so a lot of them mm -hmm. go to the big companies in, in New York or in LA or in Cupertino, Palo Alto and those kind of stuff. So what we try to do is we go to, out of the, the, the nine, uh, actually we're 10, but minus me, it's nine. So out of the nine people that work at the company, there's one of them who is not a tech. The other eight are all developers and they basically all come from the same school. That's really, really a good school. And in that school at the end of the year, it's, you know, like the big U.S. companies come there to kind of shop for their young developers. So we're, we're lucky that we think higher level developers and technical team that we would have in New York for the same price. And if we were to go to New York, it would be a New York office for everybody. I would have to hire Americans or have foreigners move over there. We would have to scale the business in a different way. And I think here we are a big magnet, magnet for talent because... I mean, that's also because I'm the founder. I say that, but I think we have a very interesting project. And those people, they don't need to find a job. Like, jobs find them. If you're good, you're just going to get a job. No, I don't know a really good developer that's unemployed. It doesn't exist. And so it's about showing them that your project is more interesting than the other and that they can really, like, you know, uh, blossom. Or I don't know how you say that. They can feel very well inside the company. So I think that's one of our assets actually being in France is we're able to work with extremely bright people that are not looking to move to the US to find a, a smart challenge because they're finding it with us. So I tend to say it's a zero sum it's a zero sum equation where we have some good side about not being in the middle of the hurricane in New York, but at the same time we yeah, we have some good sides and a bit of bad sides as well. But the bad sides are easier to offset than, than what we would lose if we move from here. Definitely. Cool insights. I really appreciate you sharing that. It's quite in-depth in and uh, very interesting. Yeah. Like there is a startup yeah. in France. Because the thing is now, like uh, three years ago, honestly, I knew, like we all know the, the companies that make it. But I didn't know a lot of the companies that failed because we tend to less hear of the, uh, less, less of them. So... Actually, if you go back to Medem 2013 or 2014, there's a company called Unique Sound 
Oh yeah, I, I interviewed one of the yeah. So founders. they raised they raised a million dollars. So it was still founded fifteen. Yeah, two thousand fifteen, and so they raised a million, and they just ran out of cash. Like yeah. so, like how do you spend a million dollars if you're not a server based company? Like if you're not, <laughs> if you don't have to have twenty thousand euros every month of bandwidth, which we are getting very close to. I don't understand how you can spend so much, and I think. Basically, you have to reincorporate your business over there, move your office over there, do a working visa for everybody. Then once they're there, probably help them to find apartments. You need somebody to kind of just help to, you know, so everybody kind of settles in. And then you're going to be like the smallest startup in the New York and you have to try to battle for clients. If they, were stay, you know, if they had stayed here, they might not have had a crazy upside. They have, might have to do a two-step development and become the big fish in France and become the big fish outside. But in France, they would have been kind of the only ones to do that. And they would have had a probably a pretty good position. And I'm not saying, I don't, I don't know exactly what, what happened, but if I was in that situation that I have a non-tech company doing music, but that's kind of a startup at the same time, I would really try to kill one market and then go to another market. It's completely different than us, where we're worldwide by definition. Mm-hmm. But the idea of building a, a worldwide platform for advertising agencies to do syncs as a French guy and just move to New York and hope that people are going to open the doors and give you a lot of money for the business. For me, it's much more scary than to say, okay, I'm going to start smaller and what like continental Europe markets, and I'm going to try to become the number one platform there. And then if it works, I'll find more investment and it, it's going to be easy. Like if you can, if you can show that you're number one in the market, it, it's fine. So yeah, I, I think that there is a lot of upsides, but the downsides can be really brutal. And if you go there, you're not going to come back. It's a very, very bad sign for the company. Like if you move everybody to New York, you're not going to come back five months later. Yeah. So I guess if one day we do that move, uh, that means we really, we really do it because we have to. Yeah. Like, you know, I happen to like spend more than half my time there and half of our business is there. And, and you know, every customer that wants customer support is, is in the same city. And we realize, shit, like we need, we need somebody on, on location. And probably even then the technical team would stay in Paris and they would have like a sales office in New York and like with like two people. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting about Unix Sound as well. I do remember them mentioning how they moved to the New York. I didn't speak to them after, I believe, this podcast interview and a few months after it. Unfortunately, the service got shut down, just closed, so I don't know the details. And it's kind of bummer because they were they seem to grow quite well in terms of the like at least the numbers that I knew and so on. But so everything that you mentioned makes a lot of sense, and I really like how smart you are <laughs> that you <laughs> that you have this right the rim providing a practical approach to growing your company and understanding how tough the music tech space is these days. And there is a bunch of really good articles on that topic written lately on quite a lot of startups being shut down. Even you mentioned Medium. I mean, it's it's just crazy how more than half of startups that win the competition there every year, they get closed after a year or more. I just, I mean, I've seen that myself because I even if when I don't attend, I pay attention to every single startup that is uh, nominated and it's just insane. But we are not going to talk about the negative things too much. Yeah, let's, let's stay positive. Uh, you mentioned the growth rates uh, for for your niche for the better. I think it's, it's really good. So uh, that's the interesting. And maybe you want to share a little bit more on who you 
who you're targeting. Actually, it's funny. Maybe you you mentioned something about the actual service sales before we talk about who you target. So we we haven't really talked yeah, about that's true. about some chats um, yet. So in a kind of a very very like how do you, how do you say that? I think in English you call it the elevator pitch or something. Mm-hmm. So our kind of one sentence is we're we're the first real time market intelligence solution. Meaning we we are kind of the closest thing that you would see in a stock market tool where you just see what's going on in the world. So if you want to look at the price of gold versus dollars, you have a platform that you just go to and you have that price. And it's public uh, market information that kind of is brought together by a service. So what we do is whatever the footprint of an artist is in regards to its consumption, we track it. So we track radio plays, we track charts positions, we track playlist entries in the different uh, streaming partners, and we track social evolution, fan counts, and, and so forth. So if you're wondering, like, is actually Kanye West getting any radio in, in France? Like, I don't know, I'm a French brand, and he just released his Yeezus shoes, and I'm wondering, like, is anybody actually playing his songs? Not is anybody speaking about him on Twitter that I know, but is anybody playing the songs? Because you want to maybe use a Kanye West song in a commercial and you know that people are going to, going to recognize the voice, but maybe you're going to use the instrumental. So you want to know if people know the instrumental, if it's played on radio, you go to us. If you're looking at your artist and you see it's charting in a country, but you don't know in comparison with another artist, if you're getting better or less traction, you can use us because you can track anybody's chart information it's the same with Spotify playlists. If you think Spotify is giving you good support on a certain artist, you can actually use us to see if other artists are getting more Spotify playlists and where they're being playlist, what time they're taking on, uh, what day they're taking on, what day they're taking off the playlist. And, and we're adding actually the position of the track in the playlist and so forth. So we're kind of um, like the, the, the world has multi-consumption uh, entities of so Spotify, Apple, Shazam, you can talk on various social networks. If you play it on the radio, there's probably 5,000 radio stations in the world that could play you. So we try to track a lot of the public information that we can show publicly. We are not a substitute for artist portal at Universal or another kind of proprietary tool that you can you know, use to see your own private data. We do do that, but it's not our core. Like you know, If you're a big label and you want to see your private streams, we can connect to the Spotify API and show that to you. Other companies do that as well. But our big thing and the thing we're completely unique at is we're the only open market intelligence. So see us as a factual view into the music consumption in the world. This is really a good explanation because at first it may seem like you're focusing on providing the data on on the artist profiles. Like if I'm a label or a management company and I want to see how my artist is performing, I can do it with sound charts, which is true. But now you explain that you uh, can provide much more than that by yeah, having this. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's funny, we see like, I'll give you a concrete example. If you're, I'm a French manager, I have an electronic artist that's buzzing a lot in the US. Oh, I think it's buzzing a lot. I'm going to go on, on K-Rock and I see that K-Rock played my track in the US three times yesterday. But the issue is I have no context. I don't know if three times a day is a big rotation or a small rotation because I'm French and I don't know K-Rock that much. So, for example, if you're on a public radio station like NPR in the US or France Inter in France or in the UK would be Radio 2 
Radio 1 is public, but they play kind of hits. Radio 2 is more like the standard, public, kind of more adult format. And actually, if you play three times a day on NPR, on Radio 2, or on France Inter, it's huge because those are not high rotation error, like there are stations. It's not like Capital FM, or in France, it would be Energy, or in the US, <laughs> it would be KEXP or something like that, where they play more high rotation. Those stations play really low. So if you're played three times a day on K-Rock, it's okay. But if you play three times a day on APR, it's, it's crazy. It's huge. It's the same thing in France, same thing in any country. So we try to give you a benchmark. We actually tell you, or you can actually see pretty easily if you're played on a station, you can go on the station and see what other tracks they play during the day. You can see what tracks they played before you and after you. So you can kind of see what kind of playlist those people have. So we give you context. It's the same thing. Uh, I could show you, for example, the top 200 sales charts. Uh, but if I don't show you the country, you don't know if it's good or bad. So if I tell you you're selling 200 albums a week on iTunes in Portugal, well, if you're from Germany, you might think 200 albums a week is extremely low. But actually in Portugal, you're number one of the market. So by showing you contextual information, like being number one on a chart, no matter what size of the country, you're the top of the market. And so we always kind of use, we tell people, use us to give you a benchmark, to give you context into the data you see. If you go on Spotify Insights, I'll give you another concrete example. If you go on Spotify Insights and I show you, you know, you're from Berlin or from Paris and I show you, you've had, you know, 12,000 streams per day on Spotify UK. If you don't know the UK market is, if you don't know the, the size of the UK market, you don't know if 12,000 streams a day is top 100, top 50, or if it's nowhere. Because maybe you come from a smaller market where Spotify is actually not the number one streamer. And so 12,000 on Spotify would be like the biggest thing in the world. Well, actually in the US, if you have less than like 130,000, you're not close to the top 200. So by giving you context and giving you charts position, we think we are actually showing a lot more precise information and showing volumes. We think that volumes, you'll get it in three months from your distributor. Or if your distributor builds a better dashboard, you're going to get real-time streaming or 24-hour delay. That's fine. But actually, what we do is we tell you in real time, hey, you're number one of the market. Like You should send an email right now to all of the media. Or hey, you've dropped by 20 points in the charts. You should watch out because something wrong is going on. Or um, now we're starting to send like, hey, you have, uh, you know, more, uh, you're, you're charting high on iTunes, but you have a lot less Spotify playlist than this other artist. And so we always try to give you context. It's this artist compared to this other artist. It's you compared to the market. So you're number one of the market, number 10 of the market. If I would just tell you you're selling 200 EP a week, then that's, it's, it's good, but it's, it's not interesting enough for you to react on it. So we try to do more of a market analytics watch and everything is in real time and you can subscribe to artists and get real time uh, emails. And in two weeks when we push the app, it's going to be push notification. And, and so that, that's kind of a complete view of uh, artist consumptions, not your artist, but any artist. And so if you have the, the young electronic band from Berlin and you think they're the next, the next Paul Kackbrenner or something like that, or you have the next rapper from Chicago and you think you're the next... Uh, Kanye West, or I don't even know if Kanye is from Chicago or somewhere else, or from Atlanta, and you think you're the next little Lil Wayne or something like that. You can actually go on Lil Wayne, go on Spotify, check his playlist, look at your playlist, call your distributor and say, hey, you should probably push us in those five playlists because this other guy that's kind of like us, that's what he's getting. So the context is what helps. 
we think. Yeah, I, I was about to ask about the mechanics as well, like how exactly this benchmark looks in, inside the platform. So, you, But you as a user of the platform pick uh, the artist you want to compare your performance to, right? So you, if you want to see how you perform in the UK market being a French artist, you, you just know some names from the UK and you know that they perform well. It's your assumption that they perform well in that country, in the UK, and you look up stats on them and compare them with Yeah, with you can your. look them up, but what we do actually, which is pretty um, interesting, I think, is we show you actually the charts. So if you go on our app, you can search. There is a point of entry by search. But actually on the left, it says charts monitoring and airplay monitoring. And if you go on charts monitoring, you can literally browse the 3,000 charts we track. So iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Bandcamp, Hype Machine, Deezer. I always forget one when I say them like that. So, But I think there's 3,000 charts now. And you can kind of browse in it. So if you're 15 in the charts, you can look at who is above you, who is below you in your genre or on the main charts. And then you can click on them and search for them and so you can either search and kind of guess by um, by genres. So if you have a new hip-hop artist, you should search for the bigger hip-hop artists and see what they have that you don't have. But if you're looking at like overall charts position because you're talking to a radio plugger and you want them to just plug better, and you are you know you have a pretty big hit because you know you're number 10 of the charts main on iTunes because we tell you when we send you a notification, then you can literally look at the airplay of number nine, eight, seven, six, four, uh, five, four, three, two, one, and see what stations they get that you don't have. But that's probably because you have a big hit already. If you have a smaller kind of niche music, then you go in your subgenre like iTunes UK hip hop, and then you can kind of see what they get in front of you and, and down of you. So yeah, context comes from a, a few different things. You can look at what state, well, actually you can look at what charts position other people have. You can look at the charts and see where you are and then just look at what other people have. Or if you know you played on a certain station, but like three times a day, you can go on airplane monitoring, choose your station, and you're going to have a real-time timeline of everything they've played. And you can, it's like an infinite scroll. So if you scroll, 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 it's going to go back in time. And then you can kind of see what songs they're playing. What are they playing just before you? What are they playing just after you? What times are they playing you at? If they keep playing you at three in the morning and around you, it's a very more, like if you have a kind of a pop electronica, a song and everything they play ahead and after you, it's like straight EDM because it's nighttime radio. You should probably talk to your plugger and see what words he's using to pitch. If you're being played in the middle of the EDM playlist, but you're more of a pop song, it's probably because the plugger is talking about EDM when he's pitching you, uh, where he should talk about more pop. And like, it's little things like that that can really help your campaign. There's a million concrete examples. You, know, uh, uh, you can look at fan demographics if you're building a tour to try to choose the right cities. You can compare where your fans are to where your other people, like the other artists' fans are. And so if you're really competing with other artists, if you're from the UK, and like you see his Facebook fan count explode, and you're like, shit, like how come he's getting so many fans in the UK? If you go on Soundcharts, we actually tell you where those fans come from. And maybe it's because like this UK guy actually started to have some traction in the US before you. And if you see that he's getting a lot of fans in the US and you're not, then you can just go on Soundcharts, look at like, is he getting any airplay? Is he getting any Spotify US playlist? Is he charting on anywhere in the US? And you can kind of understand what's going on that you're missing, what, uh, what it is you're, you're missing. We think that's, that's really the heart of the tool. It's a campaign management tool. And then it's kind of a scouting tool. So you don't even have to have an artist. You can kind of look at the charts and filter them and, and kind of choose the artists you want to follow that you know are not signed and get an alert every day and to kind of you know, keep the, the scouting fresh, so to speak. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I have to say that the, the interface is uh, very clean, straightforward overall. And this is something that we cannot show on the audio podcast, but something that, uh, I mean, I encourage our listeners to just sign up and give it a shot. But yeah, so it's all quite straightforward and clear. But now listening to you, it gives uh, some additional context to how exactly the platform can be used. So how you design it to be used, that's, uh, that's quite helpful. And the email reports are quite handy as well. So I've subscribed to a couple and been getting, I think, daily emails for yeah. bigger artists. Just, there, are daily, yeah. there are daily emails in which we recap seven-day activity. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And they're actually, they're going to be improved. We, are, we have a new version of the emails. They look, because they're still, we think they look a bit clunky. So um, there is like a, like a week, there's a new version of the daily reports and they're going to look much, much, much nicer. Cool. So uh, one question to you here. So how often uh, new artists edit and what exactly triggers the addition of new artists to the system? So for us, it's anything. So if you have one charts appearances in one of the charts that we track, we, we add you to the database. It's all automated. If you're added on the playlist, then we track you as well. If you have X amount of fans on Facebook, we then we structure to, to track you as well. We have basically a bunch uh, of, of entry points. Yeah, and they're all automated. And then if your artist is not tracked by us yet, then when you search for it, we're going to say like, hey, it looks like Andrew is not in the platform. Why don't you add it? And then you can add the Facebook, the Twitter, the Spotify, the SoundCloud, the iTunes. You click approve and somebody from the team is going to manually approve it. But 99% of the chance you're, you're going to get the artist as soon as you search for it. Right. So yeah, that, that's quite neat if, uh, if just one appearance in a, in a Spotify playlist, for example, is enough to appear on the platform. So uh, that's, that's good when you want to compare yourself to an artist that's, uh, uh, that's bigger than you, but not like, uh, not like huge. So this is something that I've seen with some analytics platforms for music. That's, uh, the, if you are looking someone up, usually you can find just the bigger names. And this is something that I've already noticed with sound charts that you can find a small to medium sized artist as well. So now, I mean, it's extremely straightforward and clear how exactly they edit. So thanks for clarifying that. Cool stuff. What's next? So uh, what's the what's the business model and what's how exactly can users sign up once the service is launched in, in the public version? So, like, what's the price of the, the subscription? Yeah, I mean, if you have a trial model, what's yeah, yeah. the so price? The price, obviously, like, just to be clear, the uh, link is in the show notes, and it's very important for the listeners to check out the latest on the website. But right now, like, as of the, yeah. this time. So, uh, and actually, this, this would be a big surprise if it changed between now and tomorrow, because literally my CTO is staring at me from across the hall, waving at me, asking me if we can launch the paid version. So... <laughs> we're literally, because it's seven o'clock in Paris now, for kindness in our users, we're going to block it tomorrow. But the pricing is, is final online and, and the Stripe payment form is, is done. Like we've been ready for a couple of weeks now. It's just a matter of fine tuning it. And uh, like if you're putting a wrong card number, then you get an error and we tell you exactly what's the mistake, like, st- like easy stuff. So the, the, the pricing is very simple. There is a 15 day trial. So if you sign up, you just have it for free for 15 days. For 15 days, you can track 10 artists which is our independent plan. And the pricing is uh, very easy. If you're just an artist and you want to track yourself, then it's, it's uh, 36 uh, euros a month. 
which is kind of a one euro a day, like 1.1 euro a day. So we think anybody, if you're trying to be a professional artist or if you're trying to be a professional manager, you can pay one euro per day. You're probably buying two beers at a concert cost you more than that. So that's like our easy pricing. If you're like a standalone guy, if you're a small structure and you're a small management firm or a mid-sized label and you want to attract 10 artists, so probably three, four of your own and three, four of the competition and a couple that you can interchange or maybe you're scouting for a couple of talents. This is going to be 149 per month. And then, yeah, then you can track 10 artists. And then we have a kind of an unlimited enterprise formula. And then it kind of depends on what the company size is. So we have a reach out and then you kind of you basically have to reach out and, and we talk about it. We, if you're kind of a small business, you just want unlimited tracking. Our pricing in reality is about 250 a month for that. So it's not twice the independent, it's like one and a half times. But what we saw uh, lately is people who reach out for that are usually five, six, seven people in the same company. So big management companies, big publishers, uh, mid-sized labels or, or independent distributor. And those people don't want one account, but they're like, we're 15 people. Can you have a deduction on 15 accounts? And so then we just kind of talk and it's... Uh, like negotiation. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's good. That is, uh, you, you, you give some uh, room for flexibility. That's cool. So uh, once it's again, it's, yeah. yeah. It's really a team plan. Like if you're yeah. 10 people and you want to subscribe, of course, the startup will give you a price. It's, it's completely normal. So yeah. Yeah, that, that's good. Once again, it's uh, it's really good idea to check out what's the latest on the website at soundcharts.com and the link is in the show notes as well. And uh, David, I really appreciate your time. I know that you need to launch uh, the paid the public version of the websites and all this fun stuff as the founder. Yeah. So thank you so much. We'll keep an eye on the launch and everything related to the platform. And uh, definitely it's something that uh, may be of interest to quite a few different kinds of listeners of ours, not only musicians and artists, but management companies, labels and brands. Thank you. Anything else to add before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I will advise any musician that is upcoming to go check out your blog because it's a really good resource for everybody. Uh, but if they are listening to that, it probably means they've already known the blog. So Yeah, that's a nice uh, blog. Thank you. But yeah, that, that, that's a good way to start. And um, if people are using the platform and they have any questions, we are always very happy to speak to users, people who just tried out, people who are very happy. We receive as much love email than we receive hate email. So if you have any love or hate email, send them to us. If there's something you love about the platform or you hate about the platform, we want to hear from you. So. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much once again. And uh, yeah, so thank you. Cool. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview with uh, David uh, Weisfeld from Soundcharts. As usual, the uh, the links uh, can be found in uh, the show notes at wispin.co slash WSR77. And if you have any questions or feedback, get in touch with uh, David and his team with us. Leave a comment on SoundCloud. So just uh, just just share your thoughts and uh, and ask any related questions you may have about uh, the tool in particular. Uh, it would be really interesting to to see how any of you use it as well because i can see that there is a number of possible applications of the platform so if you find it useful or not let us know thank you a lot and see you next time
You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We spin